0: This morning, we're going to continue again in in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, if you have your Bible with you, if not, there's one there in the pew that's available for you. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, and this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And if you found your way there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the honor and the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Yeah, and the Apostle Paul writing there to the church at Philippi, and he says this, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and, if anything, and if, uh, if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. And you can be seated this morning. Paul has been laying out very clearly to the church at Philippi how we are to live in the Christian life. He had already rejected the idea of self-righteousness. He's rejected the idea that any man can merit faithfulness or forgiveness from God. Paul pointed out in the earlier part of this chapter that if, if any man could have done it, he would have been the one that would have been able to do it. He had lived his life in such obedience to God in by manly standards, such obedience to God by what the Pharisees said that everything they should do but the one thing that the Pharisees and the one thing that even Paul misunderstood about God's standard is God's standard of goodness is, is moral perfection. And as much as Paul had been obedient in so many things, there's not a single person on the face of the earth except Christ alone who has lived on this earth and been morally perfect. And so Paul had rejected that. Once he came to Christ, he rejected that idea of self-righteousness, of obtaining righteousness in himself to please God. And in fact, he tells us that he had cast all those things aside and counted them really as rubbish or as trash. And so he moves to this point this morning because, again, he's he's counteracting the Judaizers that had started to uprise there in the church of Philippi, and the Judaizers were telling the early church that in order to be a Christian, you must put your faith and trust in Christ, but you also must continue to follow the Old Testament laws, the the Pharisaical laws, all the ones that God had given in goodness and in faith to draw us and to point us towards Christ, but even those that the Jews had added on top of God's law, those that were intended to keep people in bondage. And the Judaizers went a step further and said, not only must you do that, but you must also be circumcised if you really want to truly be a Christian. And Paul had been rejecting all of this. He'd been casting all of this aside. He had been pushing all of it, but he continues to push the church at Philippi for this desire of following after and chasing after Christ. And so we come to this place this morning, and I want to speak to you this morning about this idea, onward we go, onward we go. Now, I've shared many times in the pulpit that I'm not a very big sports person. I know what sports are, and I can tell you the variations. I know that you don't hit a home run in football, and I know that you don't do a touchdown in baseball, but that really kind of is the extent of my sports knowledge. Now, I do know that there was a very competitive game that happened last night between Tennessee and Alabama, and I only know that because I had my 20-year class reunion last night, and they had it on the TV, and everyone there was fixated on this football game. But it's one of those things with athleticism, that there are great stories that you hear about the underdog who nobody expects to win, right? And somebody, either the whole team or a person on that team, maybe it's a a solo athletic event, but something happens in the heart of that person and they refuse to give up. They're relentless in their pursuit of what they want to do. And we're inspired by reading such stories because we think about the commitment and the hard work and the determination and the drive that someone must have in order to accomplish the things that they do. And Paul here in this passage really uses that same kind of language because all throughout this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul uses language of athleticism. He uses language that points towards the the running and the races that they used to have in the games of the, uh, of the Olympics and in the Grecian games. And he uses that to point towards the idea that as Christians, we are not just in a slow, steady walk towards the end of our life. But we are in a passionate, all-out pursuit of what God has for us. Paul points into this passage that in his mind, in his heart, the only thing that he lived for at this point was to know Christ and to know Christ more. There was nothing else that Paul was willing to do. He had cast everything else aside. Now, we look at the Apostle Paul, and we understand that there were so many things. I mean, the Apostle Paul could have had any number of, of marvelous ministries in his life because he had been so well-known and because he had such much notoriety. Paul could have been as famous, really, as anybody had wanted to be. But Paul had cast all of that aside because he says, the only thing that matters to me is the pursuit of Jesus Christ. This one thought occupied his mind. And we can understand how instantly this change happened and how much it motivated him by going back to the book of Acts after his conversion. And it tells us that immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. This was immediately after Paul was saved. He immediately went and began to preach. Now, can you imagine? We know that the early church really struggled with this, right? Because one day Paul had been out persecuting Christians. One day he had been out killing the Christians that were there, and then all of a sudden something's happened, and here Paul arrives back into town, and now he's preaching the very gospel that he once persecuted. And the early church were afraid. It was like, you know, what's going on here? Is is Paul trying to, you know, infiltrate inside the church and, and be deceitful so that he can find out who we are? But I want you to think on the flip side of that. Think about those other Pharisees who had once served with Paul. And they had been on his side, encouraging him in his pursuit of the persecution of the Christian church. There was no doubt in anybody's mind, both the believers and those who were outside of Christ, that something had radically changed Paul's life. So the first thing I want you to notice in this passage this morning, the first thing that we need to do to continue moving onward as we move forward in the Christian life is we first must know our position. We must know our position. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Now, Paul had already established the goals of his life in verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And although God had moved dramatically in Paul's life and bringing him to salvation and using him along the way to do many wondrous uh, things throughout the course of his ministry, Paul had not yet reached that thing which he pursued. Notice he says, I have not already obtained it. Well, the question we must ask ourselves is what is it, right? What What is Paul pursuing here? Paul's already been saved. We know that he's put his faith and trust in Christ. We know that God has saved him. And we know that instantly upon salvation, we are justified in Christ. God has given us Christ's righteousness just as he did to Paul. So what is Paul pursuing here? What is he looking for, this it that he talks about? He's talking about what it means to be complete in Christ. This lifelong pursuit of sanctification that ultimately ends in our glorification when either we pass from this earth or Jesus Christ comes to take us home. Paul had not yet reached the end of sanctification, but Paul looked and he longed each and every day to become more and more conformed into the image of his Messiah. Over 30 years had passed since Paul had become a Christian. And over those 30 years, through missionary journeys and through establishing churches and through preaching the gospel in some of the most difficult contexts imaginable at that time, Paul had seen and experienced and endured many things, and each one of them had molded him and shaped him as God saw fit to do in his life, but he had not obtained everything that he hoped for. He had not obtained everything that he longed for, and he had not been made perfect. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is a journey towards everything that God desires for us. We have the tendency to think that once you become a Christian that hopefully at a certain point you realize this point where you just don't struggle anymore against things. You don't have to fight the war against sin and the flesh anymore. Well, let me give you some bad news this morning. The, the bad news is, is that that fight continues. But the good news is, is that God has given us His Holy Spirit and His strength to endure the battle and to fight it to the very end. We tend to look at people who are great religious leaders and think that they've arrived at a certain place where they no longer struggle with sin. But, but I can tell you, you can think of whoever it might be. And, and we oftentimes people talk about uh, Billy Graham because he was a man who lived out the course of his ministry and died without ever facing a, an accusation of a moral failure or falling. And I would tell you today that if he could tell you in this moment, Mr. Graham, to the very end of your life, were you continuing to pursue further sanctification? Were you still struggling with the power of sin in your life? He would tell you yes. It didn't matter how old he was or how much he had studied the Bible. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, this is again towards the end of Paul's life, and he's writing this and he says, the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But after even doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Paul was constantly evaluating his life. And brothers and sisters, that's what it means to grow in the process of sanctification. We seek after Christ, but we must be continually aware of who we are in God and where we are. We must be continually looking at our life because God reveals sin to us each and every day. Sometimes when we become a Christian, God instantly reveals certain things in our life that He wants us to do away with. And we're to cast those things to the side according to the principles found in His Word. But over the course of our life, you know what God begins to do is he molds us and shapes us. Sometimes about 6 months later, God begins to say, "Okay, we've dealt with that thing. Now we need to deal with this thing." We we've we've changed this thing in your life. Now we need to change this thing in our life. And we must always be ready and receptive for the prompting of the Holy Spirit to walk us through that process of sanctification. So despite the fact that Paul had had endured these things and despite the fact that he is doing this, Paul has not slowed down or given up because Sadly, this is the tendency for many people, right? They become a Christian, they're excited, they're passionate, they're zealous about pursuing Christ, and then as they continue on in the Christian life, things begin to happen, difficulties in trial, and they begin to slow their pace down. They begin to lose some of that passion and that zeal that they had when they were first converted. But there is no place in the Christian life for retreat, There is no place in the Christian life for ceasing of motion or for giving up. Paul says, I have not obtained what I long for. I've not obtained it. I've not already become perfect. But he still says that we're going to move forwards and never backwards. Paul had given up everything that he thought might hold him back. he had cast it all aside as rubbish, but there was still more to pursue. Now, Paul was secure in his position in Christ. He was saved and he knew it, but there was still something yet to obtain. There was still something that he desired to have. As John Calvin put it, if there was a question, what was this thing? He says, I answer that our salvation in the meantime is in hope so that the inheritance indeed is secure, but nevertheless, we have it not yet as possession. But Paul would tell us in Hebrews that God will equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in that working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory and the power forever. So as Paul talks about this, he lays this first principle down. Again, remember, he's confronting those Judaizers who were proclaiming that they were perfect, proclaiming that they had obtained it. Paul says, brothers and sisters, look at my own life. You know my heart, you know who I am, you know my love for the Lord, and understand that even in everything that God has done for me, I have not yet obtained that perfectness that I long to have in Christ. So now here's where Paul begins to use this language of athleticism. Because not only do we need to know our position, we need to know we've not yet obtained it. We've not yet gotten what God desires for us to have ultimately in our sanctification, and our glorification. But secondly, we must give it our all. Look at the second part of verse 12. He says, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also lay hold of by Christ Jesus. The psalmist would write in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. It's this idea of longing and desire. And he says, I press on, He was pressing forward toward a goal. It's the idea, again, of the runner heading out and longing and, and, and having a one focus in mind in heading towards the victory line, heading towards the finish line so that he may get what he desires. Paul had been running hard throughout his entire life, but he realized there was still yet more to go. But Paul's not discouraged by this fact. In fact, he's encouraged now, there are those people who really enjoy running. I, I have several friends who are, who are really enjoy, they get, enjoy getting out doing cross country running, running in places, and, and they experience what they call a runner's high. I think it's probably some kind of psychosis that, uh, that it hinders you there, but, but they call it a runner's high, right? They get out there, they begin to run, and in a certain moment, they say, you don't feel the pain anymore, you just get into this place where you're just passionately running. And I really think this is kind of the idea that Paul is pointing here. Like he's in this place where he's like, I'm in full out pursuit of Jesus, but it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter the pain or the circumstances because I'm pressing on towards the goal. I'm pressing on so that I may lay hold of that, he says, for which I was also laid hold of by Christ. What does this mean? What is he talking about? I may lay hold of of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. But you remember back in Acts chapter nine, Paul was On that road to Damascus to go to persecute the Christians, suddenly the light shone from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the Lord laid hold of Paul. The Lord changed Paul's life in such a way that he would never be the same. And so as Christ had laid hold of Paul, now Paul desired to lay hold of everything that God had for him. Because when we become a Christian, God doesn't just save us. Although if that's all that he did for us, we should be we should commit ourselves to worship him in glory and splendor forever and ever. If if all that God did was just save us, that's enough for us to worship him for eternity. But God doesn't just save us. He saves us and frees us from the power and the curse of sin. He enables us to walk in newness of life. He, he uh gives us and makes us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to live a different life. He's promised us all the, the blessings and the privileges and the and the uh and the gifts that come with being a Christian. And so Paul says, because Jesus has laid hold of me, now I want to lay hold of all of those things that God has designed for my life. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, God has those things laid out for you. God has those things that you can look for and grab hold of and pursue that God would be moving in a more powerful way in your life. Paul had already experienced salvation, and now he is walking through this process of sanctification so that he would become more and more like Christ and ultimately receive everything, not just the things that we can have in this life. There are so many things that God desires for us to have in this life. But then there's even more in that life yet to come, even more, far more than we can even think about that God will give to us in the end of this process. So you can think about the, the runner there on the starting line, and it's been said by those who have been there. I've never been over to uh, you know to Greece or to in those places yet in my life, but it's say if you go to the places where they held those games, you'll see these run these these marked out paths where they used to hold the races, and at the starting line, you know they have these. Uh, you know, granite or rock platforms where the runners would stand. And they were shaped much like a starting block is today, where they have a place for the runner to put their foot and to crouch down on the ground and to get into that running position. And so the gun fires and the runner takes off. And so Paul says, I am pressing on. I'm heading out. He says, I'm going to give it everything that I have, just like a runner does when he comes off the starting block. You've never seen a competitive running event where when the gun fired, all the runners just casually stood up and began to stroll towards the finish line. They've trained and they've buffeted their bodies. They have sacrificed everything that was needed in order that when the gun fires, they may head out with full all-out pursuit. And this is what Paul is calling us for in a Christian life. He says, I am going to give it everything that I have. He says, because God has laid hold of me, because he's transformed my life, because he's changed me and who I was and into who I am now, he says, I desire to have everything that God would give to me. But the third thing I want you to notice here is that we have to keep our focus. And this is important. And this is important because it's very easy to get distracted. Paul, at the beginning of that passage in verse 13, he says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. He uses that word brethren there uh, because, again, he's he's calling us into the fact, he wants them to understand he's talking to them as believers. He's talking to them as as Christian brothers and sisters. He wants them to understand that he's, and he reiterates, because he basically says the same thing again. He says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. And you think, well, why would Paul immediately repeat what he had already just said? Well, because he wants to make sure that they understand it. He's repeating himself to to clarify his statement and to help them say and to know that he's still pursuing everything that he's laying out for them here. That this process of sanctification has not been completed in his mind or in his life, and yet because he is confronting those Judaizers and those false teachers. In effect, Paul is saying to them, Don't listen to what the Judaizers say when they think, or they say that they've completed it, that they've obtained everything that they're looking for. He says, I haven't made it yet and neither have they. Paul says, I do not regard of having laid hold of it yet, but notice what he says there. He says, but one thing I do. Paul had one single focus. Paul was able to look ahead and not be distracted by anything else on the outside. It's important that in a race that the runner not be distracted. Now, in horse races, they have to do something to the horses to keep them from getting distracted. They have to put blinders on them so that when the gates open and the runner the, the horse heads out, that it's not going to be distracted by the horse moving on the left or the right, not going to be distracted by anything that happens around the circuit of that track, but that it'll keep its eyes focused on the front. You ever known somebody with that kind of focus? that once they get centered in onto something, you can't break them away from it. I have a family member uh, who is that way, and if they're watching something on TV or listening to something on the radio and they get focused on it, man, you're not going to break them away. You can talk to them. You can call their name. You can shout at them, and they're just focused intently on what is happening in front of them. You almost have to go over and shake them before they can be broken loose from that, and that is the kind of focus that Paul is calling for us here, he says, I have, he says, this one thing I do. He's not going to let anything distract him. Can you imagine if a runner in an Olympic event, you know, he goes he see these pictures of the Olympics and there's all these people gathered in the stadium and all the runners are lined up there. There's cameras flashing everywhere. The gun fires, the runners take off. And about Somewhere around the the circle of the track, there's obviously going to be press people there taking pictures. All of a sudden, one of the runners stopped and straightened himself up, straightened his clothes, stood there for a photo opportunity, and then continued running. What's going to happen? Well, number one, he's going to be looking foolish, but secondly, he's going to lose the race, right, because he lost focus. There's time for pictures at the end. There's time for celebration at the end if you win. And Paul says, I have one single focus in mind. I'm not going to allow anything to distract me. And notice as he talks about this, he, he helps us to understand what focus means. Because he says, I'm going to forget what lies behind and I'm going to reach forward to what lies ahead. Now, this is curious. He says, forgetting what lies behind. Now, we know that Paul's already talked about forgetting those things that he did in his pursuit of self-righteousness, this idea that he could maintain or earn forgiveness with God. We understand why Paul says, I'm going to lay all of that. But Paul here is not just talking about laying that behind. Paul's talking about laying everything in the past behind. His old life, his previous pursuits, even, even his progress as a Christian. He says, I'm not going to look back, but I'm going to continually be looking forward. Because we can be tempted to look back at our life and see our previous sins and be downcast, right? We, we, we know, all of us know, we have done things in our life that we are not proud of. Now, God has forgiven us in the, for those things through Christ Jesus, but we as human beings often have a far more difficult time forgiving ourselves and letting those things go. And so sometimes in the Christian life, we can get to a place where we say, well, you know, remember six years ago, I did that one thing. Man, I really shouldn't have done that. And and then, you know, and then that caused me to do something else, and then, and then I just really got... And, and we can begin to run down a path that will distract us from what God has called us to do. We can be tempted to look back at our self-righteous pursuits. Maybe once we started to recognize our sin, we were much like Paul and thought that just by coming to church or by reading the scriptures or by being obedient, that we would maintain forgiveness with God. And we can look back at that and be frustrated of how we used to believe, and it can cause us to be distracted. But brothers and sisters, we can also look back even at our progress in the Christian life and be distracted because we can look back and say, oh, well, remember that great thing that I did for the Lord? I remember, you know, when, when God asked me to do this or, or I felt like he wanted me to do it and I did it and it was, it, those things went really well. Man, it's like that was the pinnacle of everything. You know what? Churches are very guilty of this. Churches are very guilty of going through a season of time when God blesses their church. And then years later, you hear the people say, oh, if it could be like the good old days again. Man, if it could be like the 1950s again. Man, the church was packed with people and God was moving. Man, if it could be like the the 1800s again, you know, when 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 there was great awakenings happened, the 1700s. Man, if it could be like those days again. And we can look back to the past, and it's nothing wrong with longing to see God move. But if we're living in the past, we can't be pursuing the future of what God has for us. So he says, I am going to forget all that's in the past and what lies behind, and I'm going to continue reaching forward. Now, Paul is not saying that we don't learn from those things. We can learn from our sinful past and learn what not to do in the future. We can look back and see what God has done and rejoice in those things and pray that Him to do those those other things in the future as well. But what Paul is saying is that we must have one single focus of mind, not dwelling in the past, but longing for the future. Remember what Jesus said? No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We must not be distracted as Christians. We can't quit the race too early. We can't be distracted by those things that are around us. I saw a video not too long ago of a, of a bicycle racer. And it had been this long, arduous journey. And this guy had pulled out a great lead and he's coming towards the finish line. And there's the camera set up and he's pedaling towards the finish line. And and the way the course came, there was a really hard turn that they came down and they made that left-hand turn. And then they're heading about another hundred or so yards to the finish line. And as he bounds around that corner, he gets almost to the finish line And he sits up off of his bike out of the racing stance and holds his hands up in victory. And just as he holds his hands up in victory, the second place rider goes right past him across the finish line and wins the race. He stopped too early. He celebrated when he should have still been in pursuit. He quit too early. He lost his focus and he lost the race. Now, the runner should never look back to see where the other runners are. All you need to do is keep looking forward because if you're in the front, if you're leading, it doesn't matter where they are as long as you see the path ahead of you and you keep your focus. The runner isn't distracted by the path behind him because he's already covered that path. He's already traped over it. He's already ran over it. He's looking what lies ahead of him and keeping his focus on the finish line. The language that Paul uses here for reaching forth is the idea of a runner in full strength. One of the benefits about living in the time that we have is we have cameras that can record an event and then slow it down in super slow motion and you can see how the muscles in the body work, right? Because it's hard to see it when it's happening in, in, in live action. You see somebody running, you can see they're running hard, but if you really slow it down and you can really begin to see all the muscles in a runner's body and their legs and even in their faces and their arms as they're running and pursuing that victory, and so the language that Paul uses here in running for, in reaching forth is the idea of a runner who's almost to the finish line and he's giving everything that he has and stretching out his arms and stretching out his body, tightening every muscle and pursuing forward that he will cross the finish line first. So Paul says you've got to keep your focus. You can't be distracted by the things to the left or to the right or to behind, but put passionate and all-out pursuit of Christ. Paul would say in the book of Hebrews, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what we are called to do. We must know our position, where we are, what we're doing. We must give it our all. We must keep our focus. But next, I want you to understand we must also know our aim. What is it that we're running for? What is it that we're longing for? And he tells us there in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, again, uses that language of pressing forward, of pressing on towards the goal. And he's using those strenuous efforts again to describe the sanctified life and the process of sanctification. Paul was focused on the end and the prize and nothing else would matter to him. He was gonna cast off everything that would hinder and slow him down. He would write to the church at Corinth and say this, do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may win. Paul was giving it all because he knew what was at the finish line. When the runners take off, that's their goal. Their desire is to main or to earn the prize, to earn the trophy, to earn the recognition and the prestige that comes from victory. Paul says, I press on. I give it everything I have. And again, in that language of the runner, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how hard or how difficult it is. He says, because I know what awaits me at the end. Again, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he says, the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. While we look not to the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This was Paul's focus. This was Paul's goal. Because that prize, that ultimate prize is that end of our life, the completing of God's sanctifying in us either when Jesus returns or we are called up to heaven. It's the idea of Christ-likeness. This is what Paul wanted more than anything in his life. He wanted to be more and more and more like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, is that our goal? Do we want to be more like Jesus? Or do we want to be more like people in the world? We can be tempted to look at people who we view as successful, people we view as, as uh, uh, and even sometimes even people who are, who are good role models. We can be tempted to look at those who, are, uh, who we look up to, who we, um, who we honor, and we say, well, I want to be more like them, and, and we should, but, but what we should want to be more like them is that they are more like Christ. We don't want to be like anybody else on this earth, We want to be like Jesus is. And this was Paul's pursuit. He said, I want to be like Christ. Now, in those great races in in Greece, the race would happen. And as the race was over, whoever the winner was, they were going to receive a prize. But they didn't receive it down on the running track. In those events, they were called up to whoever who was giving the race, whether it was the king or an emperor, whoever it might be, they were called up to where that judge was. And there they were crowned and given the victor's trophy. And this is what Paul is pointing towards here. He says, we are pressing on, we are racing, we're giving it our all because there's coming a day when we will be called upward to God Whether that's, again, the return of Christ or when we die and we go to heaven, he says there's coming a day when God will call us up and he will give us that trophy, give us that prize for which we have so long pursued. Paul knew his aim. His aim was to live his life in such a way as to be obedient to God and to pursue that full Christ-likeness in his life, that full process of sanctification all the way to the end. It would do no good for Paul. It would do no good for us to pursue sanctification only for a portion of our life, only to give up, to give up along the way, to just abandon ship, to run off the course, to abandon the racetrack. This is why Paul earlier had talked about the idea of sanctification being a gift of God that God calls us to and strengthens us in, but something that we must put the work and the effort into. The process of sanctification is not something that happens automatically. It's something that we must labor and fight for. This is, again, why Paul goes back to this language of running and says we must press on towards the goal. We must put the work in. We must train our bodies, train our minds, train our attitudes to continue to push forward even when the difficulty comes. The runner must push through the pain of their muscles. They must push through the pain of practice. And as Christians, we must not give up when things get difficult, we must not give up when trials or tribulations come, when disappointments come, but we must continue to push on because we know what it is we're longing for. So we not just only just know our aim, but we almost should also have the right perspective. Look at verse 15. He says, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. You may say, well, here's a contradiction, right? Because in verse 12, and also in verse 13, Paul says, I have not yet obtained it. I've not yet become perfect. But now here in verse 15, he says, let us, speaking of of the brethren of Christ, including himself, he says, as many as are perfect have this attitude within you. Paul knew that this was not a race he was in alone. It's a journey that every Christian is on, and perfect here does not refer to practical perfection. Paul here is not talking about being perfect in every way that he's obtained sanctification and glorification, but what he's talking about here is positional perfection. And what I mean by positional perfection is that we are all in Christ. We have been made positionally perfect before God. We have been saved. We've been given the... Um, Uh, the sanctification of God, I mean, the the, uh, justification of God, we've been given Christ righteousness, and so now before God, we stand before him forgiven, and we are in a perfect position before him. So Paul is saying that this pursuit is not just an option in the Christian life, we can't just sit out there and say, well, you know, uh, preacher, I believe that some people are more gifted to this idea of, of this radical, all-out pursuit of Christ, and some of us just aren't. No, look at what Paul says here. He says, let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. He's saying, if you're in Christ, this is the attitude of your life. This is what you should be doing. This is the true calling of the Christian life, and everyone who's in Christ should agree to it and set their affections upon it. James tells us, says, to let endurance have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. To have this attitude means to set your mind on something, to think in a certain way. William Barclay said, anyone who has come to be mature in the faith and knows what Christianity is must recognize the discipline and the effort and the agony of the Christian life. There are those out there who would tell you that the Christian life is easy, that the Christian life is a, is a cakewalk, right? You become a Christian to make your life better. We don't become a Christian to make our life better. We become a Christian because we realize that we are sinners who need a Savior. We become a Christian because God has made a way for us to be forgiven. Because oftentimes becoming a Christian means our, our life may become more difficult than it was before we were a Christian. Our friends and our family could, could, could ostracize us. They could cast us out. We could face more difficulty at work. We, we know now in the culture that we live that becoming a Christian is not a very popular thing to do, and you're probably going to suffer more in the culture in which we live if you become a Christian. But we know this. We understand this. Paul has already pointed out this over and over, that suffering for Christ, enduring for Christ is a joy that he gives us to suffer alongside of him. And that the Christian life and everything that it is, is work, effort, and strife. But there's such great joy in it. No Olympic runner who has won the gold medal would at the end of the race say, well, if I had to do all over again, I wouldn't do it. It Wasn't worth it. It Wasn't worth getting the gold. It wasn't worth receiving the prize. They would tell you just the opposite they would say it was worth every bit of the effort. It was worth every bit of the practice and the difficulty and the hard work because now they have the prize in hand. And all believers, Paul says, must be committed to this same effort, putting in the hard work of the Christian life. But Paul recognized in this verse that there perhaps were some, even there at the church at Philippi, who hadn't gotten there yet, they didn't fully understand what the Christian life and the journey was. They were saved, but they didn't understand what it meant to continue to pursue and to to follow after Christ. Because he says there at the end of verse 15, and if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. Now, I think there's a very clear picture here that Paul helps us to understand that we should have patience with those who are not yet as far along in Christ as we are that we should have patience with those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, but yet don't see where they need to be. They don't see the journey that God has laid out ahead of them. Paul tells us in Romans that we should bear the weaknesses of those without strength. There were those, Paul was saying there at the church of Philippi, who looked at this and they said, you know, why, Paul? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the race. God has saved me. I know that at the end of this life that there is, is glorification for me, but why do I have to get there so fast, right? All the other runners have taken off from the starting block. If I walk, I'll get to the finish line eventually. But Paul helps us to understand that this is, and we'll never do, but the great thing about this is that he says God will reveal that to you also. God, he says, will show you the necessity of this hot pursuit of the Christian life. Holding back and taking our time will never do when it comes to doing what God has called us to do. He says God will reveal it to you. So if we see somebody in our life, in our Christian life that we know and we desire for them to continue pushing forward, we should encourage them, but we should also be praying. Because the scripture says, if any of us lacks wisdom, let will ask God and he will give to all generously. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean into your your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So we must have the right perspective. Paul says, this is the true path of the Christian life. It's not easy, it's difficult. It's not slow, it's fast-paced. He said, it is something that we must give our all to in pursuit. I keep going back to that language that Paul is using every single time he gives this idea of surging ahead, of pressing on, of laying hold, it's that idea of a runner giving it his all. Running as quickly and as fast and with every ounce of strength that his body will produce. Paul says this is the Christian life. The final thing I want you to notice here in this passage is that we must keep moving forward. Never going back, but keep moving forward. Look at verse 16. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. The word that Paul uses for however, there really kind of means the idea of one final thought. Let me bring this into conclusion. He says, having done all the other things, knowing our position, giving it our all, keeping our focus, knowing our aim, having the right perspective. Paul says, having done all of those things, we must keep moving forward forward. We must keep maintaining our pursuit of the sanctification of God in our life. We must never give up in the desire that God would shape us more and more into the image of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, but you say, I I really have no desire to grow in Christ, I really have no desire to become more like Jesus, then I would challenge you this morning to look truly at the state of your relationship with God. Because all of us grow at different times and in different speeds. Paul here is not saying that every runner is going to have the same speed, but that every runner must give their all. And if you have no desire to run, no desire to be more sanctified, then there's something that is definitely wrong with your relationship with Christ. Paul says, keep moving forward. He says, "Having," he says, let us keep living by that same standard. Well, what's the same standard? The same standard is what God has given us in his word. The same standard is understanding that what Christ has done in us, he desires to keep doing in us, shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus. He says, we've already obtained our salvation, our justification, but now let us keep moving forward in what God has called us to do. Brothers and sisters, the finish line is out there. Now, for some of us, it may be another 20 years. For some of us, it may be another 60 years or 70 years. But the finish line is there, and the prize is waiting on us if we will keep moving forward. Let's pray. Father, today, we thank you for your word. We thank you for for what Paul encourages us here. And Lord, we admit this morning Lord, in humility, God, that we all don't always pursue you the way that we should. We don't always give it our all, but Lord, we desire to do it. Lord, we desire to be like Paul lays this out here. Lord, we desire to run with strength, to run with power, and to run, Lord, just with a, Lord, an exuberance, God, to get to the end and to get to the prize and to see you working and continually changing our heart and our life to be more conformed into the image of Jesus. Lord, help us. Lord, we need this in our life. We need this each and every day to face the things that this world throws against us, to face uh, face the, the war of flesh and sin inside our own hearts, Lord, let us not be distracted by anything that this world has to offer. Let us not be distracted by our past. Let us not be distracted by our previous endeavors, Lord, but let us continue pushing forward to obtain the goal and the prize that you have laid out for us. Lord, we pray that as individuals, as in the church, Lord, that we would be pleasing unto you in all that we do. We ask this this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.